0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us. That we would hear your word and it would bear fruit in our lives. All to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Children, if you haven't already, I invite you to head to the back for your class. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, which was read this morning. Luke chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 18, which is page 860 in the Red Bibles. Luke chapter 4. What is your least favorite book of the Bible? What book of the Bible, I mean, think about that. What book of the Bible is your least favorite to read? Perhaps there is even a book of the Bible that is so unappealing to you that you have never bothered to read it. It's okay, you are allowed to have a least favorite. You still need to acknowledge that all of the Bible is God's inspired word, but we are certainly allowed to be more drawn to some parts than others. If you had asked me that question maybe five years ago, I would have said without hesitation, Leviticus. I would say that's not actually the case now. I have a much better sense of even what I might call the beauty of the message of Leviticus, and I hope that I will be able to share that with you over the years. But I would say that Leviticus itself is one of those books of the Bible that we are just typically not quite sure what to do with it. For example, Leviticus chapter 1 gives extended instructions about things like splashing the blood of a sacrifice against the corners and sides of the altar. It talks about what to do with the entrails of the animals sacrificed. Chapter 11 in Leviticus is all about which animals the Israelites were allowed to eat and which ones they were not. Chapter 12 is all about childbirth and menstruation. Chapter 15 is all about ritual purity following various bodily discharges. It is not exactly the most immediately appealing and perhaps most obviously applicable books of the Bible, but it's in the book of Leviticus that one of the keys to understanding our reading from Luke lies. In order to understand Luke read today, you need to know something about Leviticus, your favorite book of the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 25, We are told something uh, about something called the year of Jubilee. So every seven years, the Israelites were supposed to refrain from planting any seed in their land. Six years they were allowed to plant and harvest and till, but in the seventh year they weren't allowed to do any of that. They had to let it completely lie on its own. They had to completely leave their land alone. They were allowed to eat whatever it produced on its own but they weren't allowed to actually farm it in that seventh year. And it taught people to rest, to lay down the American dream. I suppose it wasn't the American dream back then. But to lay down the dream of becoming rich from the constant accumulation of stuff. And so every seventh year, they had to allow the land to rest. And by extension, they had to rest Quite a bit, because their main work wasn't allowed to be done. And this required rest, excuse me, (coughs) on the seventh year was called the Sabbath year. Okay, so that's every seven years, that's what they had to do. Then after seven cycles of seven years, in the 50th year, according to Leviticus 25, they were to celebrate this year of jubilee, If you will, it was sort of the Sabbath year on steroids. All the servants, all the slaves were released. All ancestral land was returned to its original owners. All debts were completely and fully and decisively forgiven. College debt disappeared. The slate was completely cleared. And a new era begins. And all the debts are forgiven. All land is restored. All poverty is immediately eliminated. Now the year of Jubilee, which would only come once in a typical adult lifetime, brought a new beginning and a fresh start and release from poverty and slavery in a whole new society would emerge as a result. Now with that, look with me at Luke 4, which was read today. Jesus has been baptized, he's been tempted in the wilderness, and now he comes full of the Holy Spirit, anointed for his mission, and he comes to church, the synagogue, in his hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus, as a rabbi, as a teacher, is handed the scroll to read to the people. And so he rolls through, thumbs through, and finds Isaiah 61, which was read today in Luke 4. So in uh, verse 18 of Luke 4, he's quoting Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and begins his sermon to the onlookers in verse 21 and says, in verse 21, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He reads from Isaiah 61 in the Old Testament, and the promise promise from God is that God's anointed one, the one that God's anointing is on, God's Messiah, God's promised king, would come and usher in a new era. One in which good news is preached to the poor, liberty is proclaimed to the captives, sight, both physical and spiritual, is given to the blind, and the release from suffering is granted to the oppressed. And all of these promised things, all of these things that Isaiah promised that the Messiah would bring, all of those things are about the year of Jubilee that Leviticus 25 told the people to do. Just as the year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25, is all about release and freedom and restoration, so Isaiah 61 says that the Messiah's era, the Christ's era, is all about release and freedom and restoration. And Jesus reads that part of Isaiah all about release and freedom and restoration, and he says, that is what I'm here to do. What Leviticus pointed to, what Isaiah promised all the way back in the Old Testament, Jesus says, I am what all those passages are talking about. I am the one, Jesus says, who brings that promised freedom and release. And Jesus is connecting the total release of prisoners, the radical restoration, the joyful celebration, and the complete forgiveness of debts mandated in the year of Jubilee. Jesus connects all of that with his ministry, and what he's there to do. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he was anointed in his baptism to do. That's what Jesus, our Lord, accomplishes through his life and death and resurrection. Jesus brings in, ushers in, a new era, a new kingdom. And life in his kingdom involves release and restoration and celebration and forgiveness Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Freedom, restoration, release, forgiveness, let's celebrate. But there's another part to this. We do not know this for certain, but all evidence seems to indicate that the ancient Israelites never actually celebrated the year of Jubilee as Leviticus 25 requires. This glorious year in which everyone is restored and poverty is radically reduced looks like it never actually happened. Why? Because we don't value freedom as much as we think. Now, we're Americans. We love liberty and freedom. I mean, I even have... Forever stamps from the post office that say freedom forever, liberty forever. We love liberty and freedom. They're hallmarks of our society, and that's a good thing. But in reality, we often oppose biblical liberty. Because biblical liberty, biblical freedom, is not focused inward on ourselves. It's never about my freedom. It is always focused outward on others. It's about their freedom. Biblical freedom is always focused outward on others. On others who are oppressed. On others who are poor. On others who are in need. And that is why the ancient Israelites never honored their God-given command to release all servants. Restore all ancient ancestral lands to their original families. That's why they never wanted to do that. See, there were even laws in Israel that governed how much land would cost based on how close to the year of Jubilee it was sold. Or really just rented because it had to be given back in the year of Jubilee. So if someone bought or rented land and they had 49 years to use it, it would cost a lot more than if you only had two years to use it. But once people fell on hard times and had to sell their land, the people that acquired it found it awfully difficult to give it back. See, they now had the power, and they did not like the idea of giving it back freely. It's hard to give liberty to others when it costs you significantly. We love liberty when it is we who are liberated. We love it when we are the ones that are restored. We don't like it so much when we have to give something significant in order to restore someone else, especially something we feel we earned. If we have enough left over, maybe we'll help, but we know we look out for number one first, right? It's hard to give up power and wealth and time and comfort for the sake of someone else. Even when given the clear and explicit direction by God on setting people free and alleviating poverty, God's people refused to obey and preferred wealth and power instead of obedience to God. It just cost too much to give it up. But Luke chapter 4, whereas we don't want to give up power and privilege when we have it, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He says that he leaves the glory of heaven. He holds nothing back. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he empties himself for you to set us free, to heal our blind hearts, and to rescue those who are in prison. Jesus comes and declares that his ministry is marked by this jubilee new era where captives are released, where the poor have good news preached to them, where the blind are healed and the oppressed are released from their suffering. And we who know the Bible recognize that ultimately this new era This new kingdom reign in Jesus, this whole new way of being, comes comes to us through Jesus' suffering and death. The release, the good news, the healing, the restoration, and the forgiveness that comes to us in Jesus comes at great cost. At the cost of his own life on the cross the liberation of the year of Jubilee that God's people refuse to actually do because it costs them too much, Jesus empties himself of far more and makes a far greater sacrifice for you and for me. Whereas we don't want to do it because it costs too much, Jesus sacrifices far more. In Jesus... The new era of God's kingdom has come. It says in verse 21 He says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The new era of the new year of Jubilee, where there's good news for the poor, and captives are set free, and the blind are given sight, and those who are oppressed are no longer forgotten, but are set free by our Lord. We know that in Jesus, that new era has come. Yet, we find ourselves still in this in-between time. We're on this side of his cross and resurrection. We're experiencing the first fruits of his new kingdom, while we still experience poverty and captivity and blindness and oppression. We know that in Christ we are being set free and we continue yet we continue to experience and we see others experience the gut-wrenching reality that the world is still not as it should be. The foretaste of the year of Jubilee has come in Christ, but we still know oppression and unforgiveness and bondage and death. As many here have heard by now, we experienced this week the stinging reality, the stinging reminder that while Jesus' new kingdom is here, it is not here in its fullness yet. Last Sunday, our beloved sister Shirley Baldwin, wife of our previous dean, Dr. Henry, Shirley died suddenly and completely unexpectedly in her home. God's kingdom has broken into our world in Christ, and yet the sting of death still remains. For now. It's right for us to grieve and mourn for our friend. It's right to experience the painful reality that death has not fully been done away with yet. But in Christ. We have the certain hope of the resurrection, that death is in fact defeated, that our captivity to sin is done, and that Jesus has broken the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. Friends, Shirley knew that liberation from sin in her Savior Jesus, and she knows it even better now. She knew the earthly experience of the year of Jubilee in Jesus when sin is defeated and we are given new life and freedom in Jesus. She knew that. And she knows it even better now. And as I spoke with Henry this week, he made clear that he and Shirley would want her life and her death to point all of us to the freedom and the forgiveness, and the new life that we can all have in her Lord Jesus. Jesus left the glory of heaven for you, to set you free from sin and death, that you might have true and everlasting life in him. Yes, we still experience the fallen world that is not as it will be. But we also know and experience here and now the freedom and the release from sin that we can have in Christ. In Jesus, the new era has come, and when we receive his gift of mercy and grace through faith, we are set free. Our blind hearts can see, and our ultimate oppressor of sin and death lose their power. Shirley knew that. She knows it far better now would want you to know that as well. Jesus declares that he is the promised Messiah whose reign brings release and freedom and forgiveness and restoration. Only in Jesus is that forgiveness and restoration found. While we remain on this side of his second coming, His second coming when all forms of captivity and all oppression will finally and decisively be ended. Even while we are still on this side of that day, we can know the first fruits of his kingdom. We can experience the new life in Jesus and we can know the release from the consequences and the power of sin. We can be enlivened to live in freedom and joy. Because of what Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. So while we find ourselves in this in-between time, may we look with hope and confidence to our Lord who sets us free, to our Savior who proclaims our Lord's favor to us in Christ. May we trust and hope and believe the gospel. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. Amen.